You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. good to see you today. How about Big Z, huh? I'll be. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that you are here. Um, I have friends from Louisville who are here today. It's good to see them. We have friends who are back from Peru. It's good to see you. We have new friends that are becoming part of this family, and we are glad that you are here, and we are talking about forgiveness. And man, it's hard. Are you with me? Yes. Ooh. Well, let's hear the scripture. It's a story of two brothers. How many know brothers can be knuckleheads sometimes? How many of you are one of those knuckleheads? <laughs> Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in the front, and Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from your hand, for I have seen your face which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Well, two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and there's all kinds of famous brothers I think about when it comes to the world of sports, like the DiMaggio brothers. One played for the Boston Red Sox, and the other for the Yankees. That had to make for some interesting uh, family dinners at times. Or maybe we think of the Manning brothers, one for the New York Giants and the other for the Colts and then ended up his career in uh, Denver. Or maybe we think about the Kelsey brothers who recently played one another in uh, the Super Bowl. You never want to be the brother that loses, yes? Nobody wants to go to that family reunion or gathering or Thanksgiving Day dinner and have to hear about you are the brother that didn't come out on top. And that's the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau's strong and Jacob is smart. Jacob uh, is loved by his mother and Esau seems to be better liked by his father. And in the ancient world, realize that Esau should have been the one with the blessing. In the ancient world, the oldest brother gets a double portion of the inheritance. And the reason is the oldest brother becomes 
the oldest living male, the patriarch of the family, and it's his job to provide for all of the family. And yet what the scriptures tell us is that Jacob ends up being the one who is on top, and there's lots of fireworks and a massive sibling rivalry. And the heart of the rivalry really starts one day when Esau decides to go out hunting. And in Genesis chapter 25, we read about Esau comes home, is completely famished, starving to the point of death. Parents, have you ever had a moment like that with your kids? I'm going to, yeah. And so he says to his brother, give me something to eat. And Jacob, being smoother than a fresh jar of skippy, says to him, I'll tell you what, you give me your birthright and I'll give you some of this stew. And so Esau takes the deal. How many of us know that Esau would not have made it on Wall Street? Are you with me? <laughs> and so it goes. He gave away his birthright. He gave away the being the firstborn of, uh, of the family. And it just gets worse from there. Uh, again, Esau goes out hunting. And the reason is that uh, the father, Isaac, says, I want you to prepare for me a delicious meal before I die. Esau gladly obliges him and goes out to hunt some of his favorite game while Jacob and Mama Rebecca cook up a scheme and they go out, slaughter a lamb, cook up some lamb chops, and now they, he uh, pretends that he's Esau and he steals the blessing from his father, from his brother, and the father blesses him. And Esau, when he comes in from the field, says this, Have you but one blessing, O my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Esau hated Jacob. And in the end, he says, I will kill my brother. I'll kill my brother. Esau's out hunting, or in Kentucky, we call it hunting. And Jacob decides to scheme and steal his blessing. And I want you to know that that was the day that DoorDash was invented. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Now, in our culture, we say birthright and blessing, who cares? I mean, like, it doesn't matter. But we do the same kinds of things, it's just in a different way. There are plenty of sibling rivalries, aren't there? Why did he get that? Why did she get that? I got to do this. Why didn't they have to do this? I mean, you hear the same thing over and over again, and the rivalry, it begins to boil over. Much like the deathbed blessing from Isaac to Jacob, you watch family fight plenty over who gets what, who stands where, and how it's all going to end up. And families end up broken, brothers end up angry, and before you know it, somebody says something like, I hate you, I'm going to kill you, it's over. And it leaves us with a question today. What do we do when we're Jacob? What do we do when we've stole someone else's blessing or the position of blessing in our families? Do we call it a loss? Do we justify our actions? Do we simply just run away and say, eh, we'll figure it out down the road? And I want you to realize that some of the baggage that we carry through life is not just the fact that we need a great heart surgeon. It's not just that we need to receive forgiveness and to begin to let go of the guilt and the shame. It's also that along the way we pick up this baggage that we've caused other people hurt. And that weighs on us. Even if we think it doesn't weigh on us, it weighs on us. Somewhere deep down in the recesses of our heart, we carry it with us because we know we did that thing 
We know we said a certain thing or acted a certain way or caused someone else harm. And so today, much like we've been following this train of thought that over the next 21 days we could come to grips with what was and is to embark on what will be, the goal is really this, to help us learn how to seek out those whom we've harmed. And here's why that's important. If you don't, you're going to live your life on the run. You're going to live your life on the run. And you'll consistently wonder when that thing is going to revisit you. When's that coming back? When am I going to have to face that person? What will I say? Will my apology be accepted? Is it all going to work out well? And that's the reason why people avoid each other. How often does a rivalry start, a fight ensues, and then people decide, I'm not going to talk to you for the next umpteen years? I mean, we chuckle, but it happens, doesn't it? How do we seek out forgiveness? And that was Jacob's struggle because for 20 years, he was on the run from his brother Esau. Rebecca told her son, here's the deal, your brother's going to smoke you and you better leave. So he did. He ran a far ways away to his uncle's house, who cheated and defrauded and schemed him out of everything for about the next 20 years. So Jacob got it back in spades. But eventually, eventually he was going to have to face him. And sure enough, some messengers come to him and say, we came to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you. There are 400 men with him. Now here's the thing. I'm not a military strategist. I will own that wholeheartedly, but it does not have to take a great colonel or general to figure out when somebody's coming with 400 people your way, that is not a good thing, yes? So the scriptures tell us he was greatly afraid, and what does he do? He begins to scheme all over again. It's what he's best at. If Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, well, I'll have this other camp that's out there that's left who can escape. And so, notice what he does. After the scheming, he realizes this isn't going to work. He begins to pray. And he prays, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and the faithfulness you've shown to me. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have but two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. The first step in the process of seeking forgiveness from somebody else, friends, is to pray. And you say, duh, we came out in zero degree temperature for that, pray. I mean, the, the three canned answers are Jesus, Bible, and pray. I mean, we know this, right? You can't miss. Really, pray, I got up for that, it's zero degrees. Have you felt uh, our narthex outside? It's 55 in there. Come on, really? Pray, that's all you got, and yet here's the deal. How often is that your first step? If you're anything like me, prayer comes maybe third or fourth. Let's do. Let's figure it out. Let's create a solution. Let's make a matrix. Let's do something. But pray? And so prayer becomes a last resort rather than the first line of action. And it's got to be the first step of forgiveness, especially when we seek it from somebody else. And the reason is this. I told you last week, you need a higher authority. 
You can't let yourself out of your own prison cell. You don't decide to forgive your own loans. And if you're a kid, you can't say, guess what? I'm ungrounded today. You need someone to lead you out. And that's why we pray. And so he prays, deliver me, be with me. And notice what he does. He's going to send to his brother 200 female, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 males, otherwise known as a small farm. He's going to send all of this on up ahead. Now, over the years, people have said, well, the reason, the reason that Jacob did this was that he was scheming once again. Because who doesn't want to get a gift like that before you receive an apology from somebody? It's like saying, hey, I, I know maybe I didn't act so well, but here's some tickets to the UK-Tennessee game. Okay? But I don't think that's really what it was. I think it was a true act of wanting to make amends. Because Esau was the firstborn. And if the father mainly had the commodity of barnyard animals, how do you make amends? You give him a small farm. And so what Jacob was doing is saying, I've defrauded you. I stole your birthright and your blessing. What became mine should have been rightfully yours. And so I'm going to send that on up ahead. And that's the second step to consider how do we restore the other person? How do we make amends? How do we try to make it right? What do we do? How, how can we offer a way of making the other person whole, especially if we've taken something from them? Now, we'd think it might just end there with an apology and that's it, but that's not where it ended for Jacob. The next thing he does is he wrestles. Big time wrestling. And so he wrestles with God. In fact, he meets God at this place called Panim, which means the face of God. And there, for the first time in his life, he can't scheme his way past. He can't outfox or outsmart the person who he's at odds with. And what he doesn't realize at first is that it's God. In fact, Jacob walks away from the encounter limping. And that's us. How often, when we need to seek forgiveness from somebody else, do we try to scheme our way out of it? Do we create a political end around, a great solution, a win-win? How do we create a win-win for everybody here? And yet for the first time, what Jacob realizes is this. I'm a hurting person who has hurt another person. Why do we hurt other people? Why do we sin? Why do we break our relationships? Because we're hurting too. Why do we treat people the way that we did? Well, we had a rivalry, or we didn't like something they did, or we don't like something about ourselves. I imagine the very people you don't like the most, part of the reason you don't like them is that there are things in them you see in yourself. Am I close? The silence is deafening. And so that's why we've got to wrestle with God. We recognize that I'm a hurting person who hurt another person. And the question is, how do I help restore that person? How can I be part of the process? And that's what we've been talking about when it comes to that cross. Until we're reconciled with God, we have nothing to offer anybody else. 
It's when we're reconciled with God, our lives, we begin to let go of the sin and the guilt, and we're able to seek the forgiveness of another person. And that's how it works. That's what reconciliation is all about. So Jacob, he prayed, he, he attempted to make amends or to restore, he wrestled with God, and now he's going to face his brother. And when he does, he goes before him, bowing down seven times the number of completeness or perfection. In total humility, he approaches Esau, who runs to him, embraces him, falls on his neck, kisses him, and they weep. And he says, what's with all the barnyard animals, brother? And he says, I just want to find favor. Say that word with me, favor. I just want to find favor in your sight. And he says, I've, I've already got it. I've got my own barnyard animals. I'm good. And Jacob says, no, please, if I've found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. When our relationships are broken with other people, what have we lost? We've lost their favor. They once looked upon us with favor. What do we ask other people to do for us? A favor. And when that favor is broken, are you going to run to that person for a favor? No way. When favor is broken, Favor needs to be restored. When grace is broken, grace needs to be restored. And so that's what Jacob does. He had lost the favor of his brother. And now by praying, by attempting to restore, by wrestling with God, and ultimately by reconciling, he seeks to restore the favor of his brother. There's an amazing story about that of a World War II a pilot, two of them in fact. One of them was from Japan and he participated in the raid on Pearl Harbor, a raid that took thousands of lives of American, Americans. Excuse me. The other was an American who led the raid to bomb Hiroshima. The man who was an American after they dropped the bomb was taken prisoner of war and he spent three years in a prison camp. He came out of the experience recognizing his need for reconciliation. He became a faithful Christian and a missionary, and he realized that his mission field was the very people who he had once harmed. And the man from Japan, just a day before the bomb was dropped in Hiroshima, had a call to leave. And so he read the story of this man who had come to Japan, who had met Christ, who was once in a prisoner of war camp, and the two met. And they reconciled. Two war heroes, two men who had been through so much, attempted to restore favor with one another. And it was a powerful story that changed the lives of all sorts of people around them, especially in that era. What was wrong was mended and restored, as was favor. So the fourth step is simple. We've got to reconcile. And what I love about Jacob's apology is this. There are no excuses, there are no conditions, there are no constraints along the way. It's a simple, I did this, I hurt you, please forgive me. That's the stuff of a great apology. Not, hey, you did, but I did, and the reason I, nobody cares. Just please forgive me. We pray, we restore, we wrestle and we reconcile. 
And that's the same story that Jesus tells us. It's the story of two brothers. A little brother who approaches his dad and says, Hey, dad, give me my share of the inheritance. And the father was a good father, much like Isaac. And he says to the son, Now, by all means, you can take it, even though it would have been my legal right to take you to the city gate right now and have you stoned. Here's the money. By all means, go ahead. And the problem was this. Little brother, he took off for a far country. And there he squandered it all in wild living, so Jesus says. Until he is broke and destitute and abandoned and feeding pigs with the pods of a carob tree. He's completely done. And he has this moment of realization and repentance Oh my goodness, I had everything in my father's house. Much like Jacob, little brother schemed, didn't he? And he, he developed a speech. That's what we do, don't we? We've hurt somebody else. We start to rehearse the speech. Here's everything that I'm going to say. And I imagine little brother rehearsed that speech a million times on the way home of everything that he was going to say to the father. I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But if you'll just have me as one of your hired hands, I would be ever so grateful. Well, he never got to use that speech, did he? Because the father came running up the road, which Jewish men did not do, especially fathers in Jesus' day. And the father threw his arms, and I imagine he wept, and he said, welcome home. The son of mine who was lost is found. So it is with us. Reconciliation. That's always the goal. Recognize that reconciliation doesn't come on our terms or necessarily in a way that's best for us. It's about the other person. And that's the goal of praying and wrestling and restoring before you ever take a moment to connect with that person. You might realize through the help of wise counsel that the worst thing you could do is confront them. So think before you do. But the goal is to be restored. And whether you're a lost son or a feuding brother, or two pilots from a war, the goal, the goal is for your heart, and even more, the heart of another to be restored. So forgiveness, forgiveness is possible. And I've been asking, what if in the next 21 days you could come to grips with what was and is to embark on the journey of what will be? Part of the journey for you, friends, is that if you seek forgiveness, if you'll be reconciled to those you have harmed, it will free your heart just as much as it does theirs. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your love, for your faithfulness, for grace. And when favor or grace has been lost, O oh God, may you show us how to restore it. Not in a way necessarily that comes from our own scheming, but from your divine wisdom. And so, God, today we pray that uh, you would help us to reflect, to reflect on our relationship with you, to reflect on our relationship with others. We pray that you would forgive us for the harm that we've caused you, for the harm that we have caused others. We ask that you would show us how to make amends. And God, you, we pray that you would give us strength to seek rec reconciliation and restoration in relationships that are broken.
Our prayer, God, is that you would heal them even as you heal us. And we are grateful. We're grateful for the cross, which makes it all possible. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.